America spends five to ten times more on health care than any other country in the world. Then why does America rank number 43 worldwide for longevity? Third world countries such as Cuba and Costa Rica rank higher than the U.S. So what's wrong with health care in America? This is what's wrong. Our $3 trillion healthcare industry is focused on disease management, while 70% of our planet relies on traditional indigenous medicine that is focused on health optimization. Learn how. Join Dr. Dan Royal on the show, The Royal Treatment, bringing you the latest information on the best of medicine, biotechnology, and pharmacology, as well as secrets from the past. These secrets have withstood the test of time and are being rediscovered today. In fact, indigenous healthcare practitioners are using them for the benefit of their patients who seek optimal health and wellness. Now, here is Dr. Dan Royal. Greetings, listeners. I'm Dr. Dan Royal, and you are now listening to The Royal Treatment. We're here every week to answer your health questions. If you have a question, you can always email me at droyal at royalmedicalclinic.com. That's D as in Daniel, royal, R-O-Y-A-L, at royalmedicalclinic, all one word, dot com. I'd like to thank our sponsors who are also behind us every single week. First is the Turtle Healing Band Clinic, which is affiliated with the Crow Tribe of Indians. We are located here in Las Vegas, and if you'd like to reach us, that number is 702 We'd also like to thank the First Nation Medical Board. First Nation Medical Board is the entity with whom we are also affiliated and work that was established by the Crow Tribe of Indians to regulate the practice of traditional medicine. That's because the federal government told the Indians that they wanted nothing to do with it, and the Indians would need to take responsibility for it. So the Crow tribe of Indians have stepped up to exercise their jurisdiction over it. This is important because if you have a doctor in any of our 50 states and they are doing anything that would be a type of traditional medicine, could be alternative medicine, holistic medicine, complementary medicine, and so forth, they need dual licensure. What that means is your physician needs to be licensed as an MD or DO and licensed with the First Nation Medical Board so that his medical, state medical board, that is, will not be able to cause him problems. Now, if a physician wants to treat his patients using alternative medicines, such as IV vitamin C, which is fairly common, that is a non-conventional approach for which he can potentially lose his license. So this is what the First Nation Medical Board is so important. And if you didn't know, we only have one state left in this country where physicians can be dual licensed in their own state. That's Arizona. They still have a homeopathic board. We had them in other states in the past, such as Connecticut and Nevada. They've all gone the way of the dodo. In fact, Nevada lost its homeopathic board just last year in 2019. Interestingly, the homeopathic board for the state of Arizona comes up for sunset review in 2020, and we will wait and see if they survive that scrutiny. In the meantime, we have much to talk about today. As usual, we will be going through obituaries, people who died too young from diseases they shouldn't have had locally and internationally. We'll be talking about vaccinations again. That's in the news. As you all know, we are experiencing a potential pandemic with the coronavirus in China. So we're going to be talking about that. And we'll talk about some other things. I'd like to review a homeopathic case as we did last week and maybe talk about some other things that have come out recently in published studies that you might find of interest. But with that being said, let's get started. Now, why do we review the obituaries? Well, First of all, we find it interesting. We think there's something to be learned from people who are dying too young, and we want to know why they're dying. This is interesting because the average life expectancy in the United States is decreasing. It has decreased now for the last four years in a row, which means we have set a new record for the United States. This has never happened before in the history of our country. Average life expectancy has decreased four years in a row. The last time it decreased was in 1993. But prior to that, it had decreased three times in a row in the years of 1916 to 18. But what is the average life expectancy 
in the United States, it's approximately 78.5 years of age. That's 81 years of age for a woman and 76 years of age for a man. Interestingly, when the life expectancy was decreasing back around the 1916 to 1918 period, that's when we had a flu pandemic. Now, at that time, approximately 7%, that's 7, not 70, of the United States population was eliminated due to this flu pandemic. It was called the Spanish flu virus. And approximately 500 million people worldwide were infected. That was about one-third of our planet's population at the time. It killed an estimated 20 to 50 million victims. And that death toll included about 675,000 Americans and is believed to have originated where? If you said China, you are correct. That pandemic flu virus, known as the Spanish flu, back in 1918 originated in northern China. Well, let's move on and talk about obituaries. First, we're going to look at people locally. When I say locally, I'm talking about Las Vegas, where I practice, as well as Reno, the two major cities in the state of Nevada. People who died too young from diseases they shouldn't have had. First, we have a 55-year-old man who served the United States Navy and owned a technical services business. He died unexpectedly. And you know, if you're listening to the program, that means sudden death syndrome from heart attack. 57-year-old woman passed away after leaving behind one daughter. 61-year-old man passed away after he lost his battle with cancer. 65-year-old man who served in the United States Navy and owned an electric business passed away suddenly, as well as unexpectedly. 66-year-old man who worked as a pastor and realtor passed away. 68-year-old man, a teacher with the Clark County School District, passed away from cancer. And finally, 77-year-old man who served in the United States Navy as well, died from heart disease, which was caused by his exposure to Agent Orange when he served in Vietnam. Unfortunately, it finally caught up to him. Well, those people locally who died too young from diseases that they shouldn't have had. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about international celebrity notables who did the same. I'm Dr. Dan Royal. You're listening to The Royal Treatment. And remember, we're here to answer your health questions and hopefully... By being with us today, you will learn one new thing, learn something new, and then our time has been well spent. We'll be right back. Can your own stem cells heal you? The miracle of life begins when an egg and a sperm unite. They form a single stem cell. Stem cells will keep dividing until directed by the body to become something else. Natural occurring stem cells can be found in all tissues of your body. Can your own stem cells help your body heal and repair itself? Find out more by calling Dr. Dan Royal at 702-562-1454. Dr. Royal has developed the unique patent-pending process for obtaining stem cells from your own blood. Stem cells can be concentrated, prepared, and delivered to areas where you need them most to repair old, damaged, and dying cells. Can your own stem cells help your body heal and repair itself? Are you a cancer patient in remission who needs rejuvenation for optimal health and wellness? Find out more by calling Dr. Dan Royal at 702-562-1454. Don't wait. Call today. That number again is 702-562-1454. Hello, I'm Omer Raines, author of the international best-selling book, Back to the Summit, How One Man Defied Death and Paralysis to Again Lead a Full Life of Service to Others. Now in its second edition, Back to the Summit has been reprinted in countries worldwide. All profits from the sale of this book go to support humanitarian causes of lasting importance. However, the principal reason for writing the book was to inspire others who, like me, have been faced with a major medical challenge. Back to the Summit is available in hardcover, paperback, or as an ebook. An audio edition is also available. Whatever the modality or format, it can easily be ordered on Amazon or from your favorite bookstore. Whether you read or listen to Back to the Summit, I hope that it will serve as an inspiration to you or to someone you know. Again, I'm Omar Raines. If you wish to learn more, my website is senorains.com. That's S E N O R A I. Have a wonderful day. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show, but there's one problem that's just got me stumped. Childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. 
That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. This is America Matters Media on AM 1180 KCKQ. A Lotus Broadcast Station. The power of radio since 1967. Unable to listen to the whole show? A recording of today's program will be available later today. Visit americamatters.us and click on the podcast link. Now back to the show. We are back to the show. I'm Dr. Dan Royal. You are listening to the Royal Treatment. And for the break, we were talking about obituaries locally. Now we're going to continue on with our discussion, talking about obituaries internationally. These are some of the people last week that passed away too young from diseases they shouldn't have had. Now, keeping in mind the average life expectancy in the United States is 78.5 years of age. That may vary with other countries. As we said before, heart disease used to be the number one cause of death, but that seems to be changing. Cancer seems to be on the rise, about 16 out of 19 industrialized nations now have cancer as the number one cause of death. And although the United Kingdom claims that dementia is the number one cause of death, that's only if you break down cancers. If you add up all the different cancers, cancer is also number one in the United Kingdom. Dementia is number two. Now heart disease is number three there. First, we have Steph Bow, Australian author and blogger, died at 25 years of age from T lymphocytic lymphoma, a type of lymphatic cancer. We have Lena Ben Mena, a Tunisian political activist and blogger, died at 36 years of age from kidney disease. Jason Pollan, American artist, died at 37 years from cancer. Lila Jana, American entrepreneur, founder of Samosaurus, died at 37 years of age from epithelioid sarcoma. That's a type of soft tissue cancer. And actually, that particular type represents only 1% of those sarcomas. Robert Archibald, Scottish basketball player who played in the NBA, died at 39 years of age, no cause of death given. Larry Amar, American Olympic field hockey player and manager, died at 47 years of age, also no cause of death given. Meritexel Nager, Spanish singer, died at 48 years of age from cancer. Sebastian de Moran, French journalist, died at 50 years of age from cancer. Addy Valero, Venezuelan politician and deputy, died at 50 years of age from uterine cancer. Vesvolod Chaplin, Russian Orthodox clergyman, died at 51 years of age when he became ill and then fell dead in his own temple. Peter Salama, Australian epidemiologist, died at 51 years of age from a heart attack. Reed Mullen, American rock drummer, died at 53 years of age from liver cancer. Yang Xiaobo, Chinese politician and mayor of Hongxi, died at 56 years of age from pneumonia that was due to the current coronavirus. Eugene Berger, Luxembourgish politician died at 59 years of age while in intensive care in the hospital, cause unknown. Gurahari Naik, Indian politician, died at 60 years of age due to a neurological disease from which he suffered for many years. Leo Fernandez, Puerto Rican television reporter and paparazzi, died at 60 years of age from a heart attack. Todd Portune, an American politician and commissioner for Hamilton County, Ohio, died at 61 years of age from spinal cancer. Bix Nodani, South African politician, died at 61 years of age from a heart attack. Nick Luxmore, British psychotherapist and author, died at 63 years of age unexpectedly. Santu Mofonking, 
South African photographer, died at 64 years of age from progressive supernuclear palsy. This differs from Parkinson's disease in that it has what's called tau proteins. Hubert Mengarelli, French writer, died at 64 years of age from cancer. Mick Venter, English soccer player, died at 65 years of age from dementia. Nina Griscom, American model, television host, and columnist, died at 65 years of age from amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Clayton Christensen, American business theorist, died at 67 years of age from cancer. Gerda Keeninger, German politician, member of the Landtag of North Rhine-Westphalia, died at 68 years of age, unexpectedly, another sudden death syndrome person. Flamerion Nunes, Brazilian soccer player and trainer, died at 68 years of age from cancer. Hercules Ayala, Puerto Rican professional wrestler, died at 69 years of age. Maharaj Bahan, an Indian virologist and pediatrician, died at 72 years of age from cancer. Rob Brinsenbrink, Dutch soccer player for the national team, died at 72 years of age from progressive spinal muscular atrophy. Sheldon Drobny, American accountant, founder of the Air America Radio Network, died at 74 years of age from pancreatic cancer. Georgos Kotanadis, Greek actor, died at 74 years of age while in intensive care in the hospital. Cause unknown. Margot Lyon, American theater producer, died at 75 years of age from a brain aneurysm. Tony Bilson, Australian chef and restaurateur, died at 76 years of age from a lengthy Complicated set of illnesses. Not sure what that was. Alan Brown, American football player, died at 76 years of age from a lengthy illness. Terry Jones, Welsh actor, comedian, film director, died at 77 years of age from frontotemporal dementia. Remember, there are numerous types of dementia, the most common being Alzheimer's, but there's also vascular and Lewy bodies. Patrick Kennedy, Irish politician and senator, died at 78 years of age after a short illness. Remember when they say short or long, they're usually referring to cancer. But we give you as many details as we can find. Well, that's the obituaries for this last week. People who died too young from diseases that they shouldn't have had. Don't let that happen to you. You can prevent that by investing in your health every single day being proactive, not waiting for something bad to happen. And that's usually what occurs for people who are involved with disease-based medicine. Our current model is set up on a sick care type of system. If you want optimal health and wellness, you're going to have to take matters into your own hands. Not only are you going to have to invest in your health every day, but you're going to also have to detox every day because we're constantly exposed to chemicals, pesticides, and other environmental pollutants in our water, air, and food from which we need to be free. And there are many ways by which this can be done. And we've talked about them periodically on this program from time to time. Let's look at some studies that were recently published. Here's one that has to do with sunscreen. Now, you may think that that's fairly innocuous. Some people believe that the sunscreen agents are responsible for the cause of melanoma. You know that melanoma can appear where the sun doesn't shine. So there doesn't seem to be a direct correlation with exposure to sun, which we all need to convert vitamin D from its inactive to active form. Well, six ingredients commonly found in sunscreens had systemic absorption levels that exceeded FDA recommendations, according to a clinical evaluation for four sunscreen formulations. Now, the mean plasma concentrations for some of these ranged anywhere from 3.3 to 7.1, but the FDA recommendation is not greater than 0.5. That was for two of the ingredients. The other five or I'm sorry, that was for one of the ingredients. There were five other chemicals evaluated in the study that also exceeded the FDA recommendations for each sunscreen that included the chemicals and its overall composition. All six sunscreen active ingredients tested resulted in exposure above the FDA recommended level, and this threshold was reached after one application 
to approximately 75% of the body's surface on day one. Now, the study reflects ongoing interest in establishing the safety of chemical-based sunscreens, according to the authors. Although the safety of mineral sunscreen filters has been established, the safety of chemical sunscreen filters has come under increased scrutiny in light of recent data from investigators. The current study showed that plasma absorption of all six chemicals exceeded the FDA threshold after a single application, as we just mentioned, and continued to increase with each subsequent application. All the products remained above the threshold on day seven, and some remained above the threshold even on day 21 or three weeks later. Now, in a follow-up study, the researchers evaluated systemic absorption of these six ingredients for the four sunscreen products by randomizing 48 participants to the four different sunscreens. Each participant contributed 31 blood samples over 21 days. The mean maximum plasma concentration of all six ingredients exceeded the FDA threshold of 0.5 nanograms per milliliter and exceeded the threshold on day one for all of the ingredients. There were a number of these participants who reported a rash as the most common symptom. But let's break it down. Let's look at these ingredients and see what it is that they can really cause. First, we have oxybenzone. This is a synthetic estrogen that penetrates the skin and can disrupt the hormone system, affect the nervous system, and cause cancer. Interestingly, the CDC, or Center for Disease Control, estimates that 96% of Americans have this chemical in their body, and it accumulates faster than we can eliminate it. Number two, we have abobenzone. It's toxic in large doses, uh, greater than 3%. We also have otocrylene. We have homosalate. Now, all three of these cause skin rash, acne, contact dermatitis, folliculitis, skin irritation. Then we get down to octosalate. It may promote the generation of potentially harmful free radicals when exposed to light which is what sunscreen is supposed to protect you from and can damage DNA from free radicals, which may contribute to an increased incidence of melanoma in sunscreen users compared to non-users and may lead to developmental and reproductive toxicity. And finally, we have octanooxalate, an endocrine disruptor that mimics other hormones and has hormone-like activity that affects reproduction, thyroid, and behavior, and produces free radicals, which accelerate premature aging damaged skin, cells, and DNA, and increased risk of cancer. Well, I'm Dr. Dan Roy. You're listening to The Royal Treatment. We just talked about sunscreen contaminants. When we come back, we have much more to say. Stay with us. Targeting cancer cells with DMSO reduces the need for full-dose chemotherapy by up to 90% because DMSO targets cancer cells, not healthy cells. Research demonstrates that DMSO, also known as dimethyl sulfoxide, has an affinity for cancer cells, which also allows DMSO to enter them even when DMSO is carrying chemo drugs. Could low-dose chemo with DMSO be the answer you've been searching for? Find out more by calling Dr. Dan Royal at 702 1454. When low-dose chemo is combined with DMSO or insulin, it's called potentiation therapy. This is because the cancer-killing power they create together is much greater than when they're administered separately. Are you a cancer patient who wants more than disease management? Could low-dose chemo help you achieve optimal health and wellness? Call Dr. Dan Royal at 702-562-1454 to see if you qualify for low-dose chemo. That's 702-562-1454. The Delta and Bonanza Saloons in Virginia City are simply elegant. Imagine ascending the grand staircase and being surrounded by the Victorian elegance and grandeur of the historic banquet rooms. Original crystal chandeliers, mahogany bars, and oak dance floors highlight the eloquently appointed spaces. A truly romantic and unique setting for your wedding, banquets, or holiday parties. Detailed ceremony and menu planning ensures your special event is a memorable occasion. With just one call to Jesse at 775-847-0789, all of your arrangements will be handled by their experienced staff with your every expectation in mind including cakes flowers photography videography music and party amenities complete ceremony and reception packages are available as well as their famous themed weddings since 1865 the delta and bonanza saloons guests have come from every state in the union now it's your turn no event is too large or too small let the delta and bonanza saloons plan your next incredible event call jesse at 775-847-0789 Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang 
Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. This overload. Shannon Lawson here. Join us for the Nevada Radio Roundup, Fridays at 2 p.m. A good news variety show all about the local scene. The Nevada Roundup, Friday at 2. To join the conversation, call 844-790-TALK. That's 844-790-8255. Now, back to the show. We are back to the show, and you are listening to The Royal Treatment. Remember, if you have a question and you want some free medical advice, you can always email me at droyal at royalmedicalclinic.com. That's D as in Daniel, royal, R-O-Y-A-L, at royalmedicalclinic, all one word, dot com. Call us here, the Turtle Healing Band Clinic. 702-562-1454. That's 702-562-1454. Well, we are now in the second half of our program. Thank you for staying with us. We have much more to talk about. We're going to talk about a study that was recently released involving stem cells. I want to go over a homeopathic case just because I find it interesting. And finally, we're going to be talking about vaccinations during the latter part of this program. Well, human stem cells and pain-killing neurons have successfully relieved chronic pain in mice. This was initially uh, revealed from some researchers at the University of Sydney, Australia. The breakthrough method may be tested now on human patients suffering untreatable pain within five years. The chronic pain cost an estimated one point, I'm sorry, $139.3 billion was what it cost the country of Australia in 2018. These researchers have now used human cells to make pain-killing neurons that provide lasting relief in mice without side effects in a single treatment. The next step is to perform extensive safety tests in rodents and pigs and then move to human patients suffering chronic pain within the next five years. So if you're looking for the miracle cure, at least in Australia, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Interestingly, we've been harvesting stem cells from blood for the last 10 years, autologously from our patients and treating pain very successfully, many times in one treatment. And... The difference is the type of cells that are being used. Let's read on. Published today in the peer-reviewed journal called Pain, the team used human-induced pluripotent stem cells derived from bone marrow to make pain-killing cells in the lab and then put them in the spinal cord of mice with serious neuropathic pain. Now, you can obtain pluripotent stem cells from, well, the blood. If you know how to attract those stem cells into the blood, we have a product that we use for that called RBC Blend. But what they're doing here is they are taking cells from the bone marrow and then they are, through a series of transformations, they are creating stem cells. They're going back in time. There was a Nobel Prize awarded in 2012 for the creation of an induced pluripotent stem cell created from the skin of a frog. Remarkably, the stem cell neurons promoted lasting pain relief without side effects, according to the researchers. This means that transplant therapy could be an effective and long-standing treatment for neuropathic pain. Well, what is chronic pain anyway? It's defined as persistent pain that continues after the original injury has healed. It comes in two forms, inflammatory pain and neuropathic pain. Now, neuropathic pain can occur in human conditions such as sciatica, pinched nerves, spinal cord injuries, post-herpetic neuralgia or shingles, diabetic neuropathy, cancer bone pain, and accidental injuries. Maybe you 
have experienced one of these. An estimated 2 million Americans are now dependent on opioids. Opioids are not even an effective treatment for chronic pain. Existing treatments for neuropathic pain necessitate long-term treatment with repurposed anticonvulsants and antidepressants. These treatments are not specific for pain and have extensive side effects. And importantly, these drugs together seem to really help only around 25% of the patients, which is actually less than placebo or 33%. Total financial cost in Australia, as we mentioned in 2018, was $139.3 billion. That seems like a lot of money to be paying for people to take drugs when there are naturally occurring therapies that are available. You don't have to have a laboratory stem cell that is produced from the bone marrow or the skin or any other source called an induced pluripotent stem cell. You can get those pluripotent stem cells, meaning that such a stem cell will differentiate into any of the body tissues and organs that you have. Now, that can be obtained in the blood because those cells are in all the tissues in your body, but you need something to attract them in there. If you're interested in learning more about how to do that with RBC blend. We have the product and we have the instructions. Feel free to call us here at the Turtle Healy Bank Clinic, 702-562-1454 or email me, droyal at royalmedicalclinic.com. Remember, if you're getting stem cells from fat or bone marrow, those are mesenchymal cells. They can be used for cardiovascular or orthopedic conditions, but they cannot be used for other organs such as your liver, your pancreas, your brain, and so forth. They have limitations. But that doesn't mean that they can't be effective with the treatment of pain if it involves your joints. Well, we want to, we want to turn our attention to homeopathy. We want to review a case of a homeopathic woman who lost her hair. This is a woman who is 43 years of age. She had come to a homeopath. And we find these cases interesting because it's a different approach to the evaluation and treatment of a patient. Let's take a look. Here, the patient was a woman of 43. She had complaints of severe hair loss, a bald patch, and also white hair for the last year. Now, she also had a cyst in the right ovary and was on hormonal injections for this. When the patient came to the physician, here's how she described herself. She said, my office is my main stress. I am working there alone in my department since a year. There are not many colleagues or coworkers out there. The entire department's work has to be done by me. It was a big load for me. All the work I had to do was way too much for me, but it was my responsibility. The burden would be on one person. I had to do everything as it was my probation period. I need to complete my work on time. I just don't like it when my work remains pending. I get very anxious if my work is not completed in the given time period. I just cannot deal with it. I get angry easily. I need to control it as I can't show it. Now everything is fine as my department is good. I have many colleagues. Our work is distributed amongst all. Plus, I have got another department now. It's the computer department. Things are at ease here. I have a lot of fear that I will not be able to complete a task. I will fail at completing things. These are all things that were elicited from the patient, her mental state. Now, when you are evaluating a patient as a homeopathic practitioner, the most important symptoms or signs, if I can use those terms, are what the patient expressed mentally and emotionally. There's also something called peculiars, or very odd symptoms, and those can speak to a particular remedy, meaning there are certain remedies that can be prescribed more easily when a very peculiar symptom is mentioned by the patient. Well, the doctor now has to analyze this patient. Now, she says the patient has a strong stress factor at the time of her complaints, and her mind symptoms were, in fact, the most important in this case. There is computer programming that can be used into which such symptoms can be input, and the computer will then recommend certain homeopathic remedies. In this case, the recommended remedy was called Orum Muriaticum Natronum. This is a mineral remedy, basically a salt of Orum Metallicum or gold and Natrum Muriaticum or salt. So a combination of homeopathic gold and salt. The main feeling of Orum Muriaticum Natronum is a need to take up much responsibility and perform tasks which are beyond her capacity. In this, it comes close to another homeopathic remedy called carcinosin. Carcinosin is made from 
breast cancer and has some interesting indications of its own. Also in this particular remedy, Aurum muriaticum neutronum, the patient had a strong sense of guilt as if she had done something wrong, fear of failure and rejection. She was given a dose of this medicine. Now we're talking about a classical homeopath, which gives one dose and then has the patient return in a month for follow-up. The dose is given under the tongue, meaning that it will now have an opportunity to affect change in her autonomic nervous system, which is the control that occurs in her brain. It's controlling about 90% of what goes on your body. All of your non-conscious bodily functions are regulated by the balance between your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. These make up your autonomic nervous system. When the patient came back in a month, she said her hair falling has reduced with her work stress. Initially, she used to get very anxious regarding the work given her. She had to complete her work in time, and if not, her anxiety levels used to rise. In the follow-up, she said that even with stress at work and the deadlines, her anxiety was not like it was before. She would get anxious a bit, but not like she used to get before her treatment started. The patient came back 10 months later. She was Having a follow-up visit with her doctor, now her hair loss, her alopecia was better by 70%. Far better than placebo. When you consider she was merely given one dose of homeopathic remedy, it's somewhat of a miracle. She now feels more relaxed. Weakness and low stamina, which she would feel before, is also significantly better. Her fears and anxieties are remarkably improved. As you can see, homeopathic medicine can not only affect your mental, emotional well-being, but your physical well-being as well all by affecting the control of your autonomic nervous system regulated by your brain. Well, we want to talk about vaccinations and what's going on with the coronavirus that has now begun in China, as there are many cases that seem to be coming forth in that country and throughout the world. Some people have estimated that if the international travel is not stopped by as soon as February 3rd or within a week, that within the next couple of weeks, the number of cases that will have been diagnosed will rise to over 250 million. That's how quickly it is incubating and being spread. But do not fear. There are things that you can do. When we come back from the break, I'll tell you about a patient we saw just last week that had the flu for three weeks that we cured within 24 hours. I'm Dr. Dan Royal. We're going to be back after the break. Stay with us. After forming all the organs and body components necessary for human life, stem cells disappear, right? No! Stem cells are present in all of us just waiting for an opportunity to regenerate organs, joints, ligaments, muscles, and other body tissues they originally formed. Dr. Dan Royal has developed a unique patent-pending process for obtaining stem cells from your own blood. Stem cells can be concentrated, prepared, and delivered to areas where you need them most to repair old, damaged, and dying cells. Can your own stem cells help rejuvenate your body? To find out, call Dr. Dan Royal at 702-562-1454. Your own naturally occurring stem cells are the ultimate anti-aging treatment. They can be used to improve facial appearance and hair growth, as well as for aches, pains, and other conditions. Could your own stem cells help you achieve optimal health and wellness? Find out by calling Dr. Royal at 702-562-1454. Don't wait. Call today. That number again is 702-562-1454. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. 
To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. This is America Matters Media on AM 1180 KCKQ. A Lotus Broadcast Station. The power of radio since 1967. Are you shy and don't want to talk on the air? Text us your questions or comments to 775 237 2266. Now back to the show. We are back to the show, and you are listening to The Royal Treatment. Thank you for sticking with us. We're now in the fourth quarter of our show, and as promised, we're going to be talking about vaccinations. I mentioned before the break, we had a patient that we recently saw this week. She had been suffering from the flu for three weeks. It was so bad she couldn't get out of bed. Now, she'd seen another physician, and interestingly, she had received a couple of IV infusions, which helped temporarily, maybe more hours, but certainly not more than a day. Now, there's a very simple treatment that can be given to such patients. First of all, you can always take a homeopathic. Many of you are familiar with the boron product called oscillococcinum. You can take that under your tongue, and the key with the homeopathic remedy is not how much you take, but how often or frequently you take it. The sicker you are or the more acute your illness, the more frequent you take the remedy. You put it under your tongue. You take it every hour to two hours until you feel better. Once you feel better, you save the rest for a rainy day. When she came in our office, we gave her a dose of homeopathic flu and a couple of different potencies, and we sent her home with some oscillococcinum, but we also gave her something called an isode. An isode is where you can actually inject something in the patient, IV push, which means you're giving something into the vein, like an IV, but it's much less fluid, and you can take out some blood and use that blood to create a homeopathic type of vaccine. You use that blood to create a homeopathic medicine, if you will, and you re-inject it into the contralateral hip from which the IV push was given. This has a very interesting effect of reintroducing the virus that previously had been hid so that the immune system can now recognize it and eliminate it. Typically, it takes about 24 to 36 hours for a patient to feel fully recovered, but sometimes, even before they leave the office, patients are feeling better. Well, there's some interesting things to consider with the current novel coronavirus that is sweeping the country of China and it finding its way throughout the world. This virus first began infecting about 200 people in the month of December 2019. And according to some authorities, there have been 217 cases of infection in China alone, although experts suggest that the actual number of people infected by the virus may be as high as 2,300. Now, the quick spreading virus has fueled concerns that the Chinese government may attempt to cover up the severity of the disease as it did in 2003 with the SARS outbreak, which resulted in 774 deaths across at least 30 countries. Supposedly, the new illness is believed to have originated from a seafood market in Wuhan, a densely populated central Chinese city home to about 11 million people. Now, the United States National Institute of Health is launching a rush campaign to develop a vaccine against the China coronavirus. The goal, have a vaccine ready for human testing in an unprecedented 90 days. NIH is partnering with a U.S. vaccine company called Moderna Inc. The vaccine is a new type of RNA. RNA is a messenger protein. It tells the, the body what type of proteins to make. 
and it is entirely experimental. The RNA technology has never been used before for a vaccine, and of course, this product will not have time to be tested for safety or efficacy. What could possibly go wrong? Well, wait and see, because it may be coming. But the reality is, my friends, if you stay healthy and if you know how to use homeopathic medicines, you are forewarned and forearmed. There's an interesting side note to all of this, because back in the year 2015, a patent was filed for the coronavirus. It was filed by Bill and Melinda Gates. They are not even trying to really hide it. This new disease called coronavirus is sweeping the headlines, as you know. And the patent filed in 2015 was granted in 2018. The assignee of the patent was the government-funded Purbright Institute out of the United Kingdom. And some of their major funders are none other than the World Health Organization and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Well, let's take a look at the history of vaccinations. I think you might find this very interesting. The science of inoculation or vaccination was established hundreds of years ago based on the practical reasoning that if something doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. The practice of smallpox inoculation was refined by the end of the 18th century by people devising ways to reduce the risk of death from the inoculation while retaining the strengthening effect. For example, in Hamnavoe, Scotland in the 1780s, John Williamson, developed a method of treating smallpox pus or scabs with smoke and camphor to weaken it and treated thousands of patients without a single death. He introduced a small amount of the matter intradermally, bloodlessly. Recently, it has been learned that there's actually a tremendous difference in the immune reaction to intradermal and subcutaneous or intramuscular vaccinations. Later in 1796, Edward Jenner demonstrated that an infection with cowpox produced immunity to cowpox. And within three years, he had gathered evidence that it also produced resistance to smallpox. By the 1930s, using similar vaccines, smallpox had been eliminated in a few countries. Although a proposal was made in 1958 to the World Health Organization to have an organized campaign of vaccination to eradicate smallpox throughout the world, there were many people opposed to the project. And it was only in 1967 that the project began using ring vaccination around outbreaks to prevent spreading. The last natural cause of smallpox occurred 10 years later. The project cost an average of $23 million per year, with the affected nations paying two-thirds of that cost. In recent years, the United States Centers for Disease Control, or CDC, have been spending about $4.5 billion annually just for vaccines for our children. The total annual cost of vaccines is over $50 billion. The U.S. accounts for about half of the vaccines used. The ongoing yearly expenditure on mass vaccinations is 70 times greater than the total cost, 230 million, 717 million in current dollars, eradicating the deadliest epidemic smallpox by targeted vaccination. Max vaccination is obviously better business than targeted vaccination. Since the middle of the last century, the United States practice of science has become closely integrated with government and evidence-based or so-called evidence-based medicine making it more legally enforceable. The great growth of the vaccine industry since the 1960s has been a prominent part of the corporate medicalization of our society. In the year 1900, tonsils were considered to be, like your appendix, a useless tissue, but they played an important role in thinking about infectious diseases. The dominant theories were that they were reservoirs of infection and that people would be healthier without them. Tonsillectomy became the most common surgery. However, in 1910, some surgeons noted that the children they operated on during a polio epidemic had an increased risk of contracting paralytic polio seven to 14 days after the operation. Others later confirmed that their observations were correct. The idea came to be called polio provocation. In 1950, the idea was widely discussed when an increase in the number of tonsillectomies corresponded to a sharp rise in cases of paralytic polio. Although there was no scientific validation for the value of tonsil surgery, decades passed before the number of surgeries declined significantly. Some people argued that the stress of anesthesia and surgery caused the weakening of resistance to polio virus. Others thought that tonsils might form a useful part of the immune system's resistance to infection. 
While the role of tonsillectomy of polio was being debated, doctors in Germany noticed that children with congenital syphilis that they treated with a medication called neosalvarsin developed a paralytic polio. And then doctors in other countries reported similar events following vaccination with cholera and smallpox vaccines. Well, in 1951, the annual meeting of the American Public Health Association, three officials from the New York State Department of Health presented the results of their epidemiology study to testability of five studies that had recently been published in British medical journals confirming the polio provocation theory, an increase in paralytic polio following vaccinations or other injections. And their study found that several kinds of injections were associated with an increased risk of paralysis in the injected limb, but that the diphtheria pertussis tetanus vaccine was the most strongly related to this effect. When injections were in the arm, there was a median delay of about 23 days between the injection and paralysis. And when the injection was in the leg, the median delay was 30 days. And experiment mice showed the same effect on localized paralysis in the injected leg. So in June 1951, the New York State Health Department advised all physicians in the state to avoid elective injections during polio season, except for babies less than six months old, and that even those injections should be stopped during polio epidemic. The United States Public Health Service's advice was to keep vaccinating as usual. The introduction of the polio vaccine in 1955 distracted attention from the issue of polio provocation. It took more than 40 years for the polio provocation syndrome to be widely accepted, and then it faded from awareness over the next several decades. Now, the United States Public Health Service relies heavily on its authority to convince the public that vaccines are safe. Rather than aggressively investigating possible harmful effects of vaccination, the CDC takes a legalistic lawyer-like position, dismissing a large portion of reported deaths from HPV vaccine as hearsay because they don't receive an autopsy report or death certificate. Vaccinators are required to report certain adverse effects within a definite time period after vaccination. So, if a death occurs 16 days after receiving a certain vaccine, it isn't reportable, though it would have been the day before. The most common cause of death during the short-term following vaccination is anaphylactic shock. The CDC requires, however, a death certificate listing a cause of death or an autopsy report before they would acknowledge that a death has occurred. It is well known that death from shock isn't likely to be recognizable on an autopsy, even with the rigged system as it is. Payments for death and injuries caused by vaccinations have exceeded $4 billion. Well, there's much more to talk about here on the Royal Treatment, and we'll be back next week to continue our discussion with another episode of the Royal Treatment. But I want to thank you, my friends, for being with us. Hopefully, you have learned one new thing today that will make your time spent with us. Well done. Until next week, may you all be well. <laughs>